Hello, hello, hello. This is Tamika Peters, president and CEO of Grow Your Nonprofit, where we help startups, small and stagnant nonprofits grow through fundraising strategies, strategic planning, and so much more. Guys, today you are in for a treat. I have my special guest here, Gary Willoughby. He is the executive director of the Gulf Coast Humane Society. We'll talk all about the organization and its 76 year history. You heard that right, 76 years. How do they do it? He's gonna spill the tea. But before we get started, I like to thank the sponsors of my podcast. Hodges University with a campus in Fort Myers. Stay near, go far. They change lives for the better. Trinity Life Foundation Naples, helping at-risk youth through their enrichment program. AVID, that stands for the Associations of Haitians Living Abroad. They just opened an amazing community resource center right here in the beautiful Fort Myers, where they will help you with immigration support, utility billing, and English as a second language taught by yours truly. Last but not least, Vaxtruth. They just received a grant from the CDC to raise awareness of COVID-19 and vaccine resources in the black and brown communities. So guys, like I said, my special guest here, Gary. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Gary. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it gets really rough at the main society, right? Absolutely, every day. I just That just popped I, up I, in I, my head. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one, right? We have lots of animal puns available to us. Oh, I bet you do. So yeah. what is your favorite one? Uh, I, I don't know that I enjoy them that much, So, but our staff loves a lot of, uh, a lot of cat puns. And just uh, so I, I kind of just, you let them kind of roll through. Right. You, you're... Uh, and especially when you're doing everything as you know, a furball, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Anything you can think of that's animal related, right? Right. I was perusing your website and I, I noticed that I think you had like three or four different events, and just the names were like really, really cute. I was like, oh, that's so cute, that's so cute. And I also like that you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily heavily event driven, and you have. Um, um, language on there. If you want to host an event on our behalf, um, feel free and fill out the form. And I really like that because a lot of nonprofits think having an event is a fundraiser, but it actually it takes a lot of staff time and a lot of resources. And where you really do the numbers, are you really making any money? And you have a lot of transactional donors who are not necessarily there to support you. They purchased a ticket because perhaps someone asked them to but there's no follow-up. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more in our board as well. Um, we, especially like we had a 5K, you know, mm -hmm. folks who come into our 5K are the folks who like to run in 5Ks. Yeah. They don't necessarily have a connection to our mission. Right. They just want to beat last 5K's time. Right. And, and, uh, and what prizes they're going to get and things like that. So so it's it's fun the day of, but right. not necessarily somebody you're ever going to see again until next year's 5K. Exactly. Do you, do you guys have any strategies to turn those transactional donors into long-term donors? Well, we certainly try and we gather, you know, email addresses and physical mm -hmm. addresses and try to update them the best we can. But but, uh, you know, and sometimes if somebody goes to a really large event, we had a couple before COVID, mm -hmm. uh, and then certainly with the hurricane last year, uh, we had a celebrity chef event was really big. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the folks were people who lived on the barrier islands, uh -huh. who uh, and all the restaurant owners who have been impacted pretty. Right. So we're going to take a pause from those. But some of those people who came and they may have spent thousands of dollars in yeah. a night, they had the wherewithal that maybe we right. would be able to convert them into a, a monthly supporter. Right, right, like right, right. I noticed you said you had to take a pause. Did you mean P-A-U-S-E or P-A-W-S? Even, even though I don't like them, I, <laughs> they just pop out once a while. <laughs> I was like, ooh, uh, it doesn't take much to get me excited. <laughs> so I know we kind of jumped into the interview because your organization, it, it, it's, it means a lot because we found our furry friend Zeus 
from the animal shelter when we lived in Naples at the time and he's been with us for 11 years and it's funny he's he's a Yorkshire Terrier and Maltese mix and this dog he's a mutt but he's hardly ever sick and I'm I guess because he's a mutt <laughs> but and, and, and it's so funny he's old because when we adopted him I believe he was already two or four years old but he still looks like a puppy and he's so, so agile. He has so much energy. And I'm like, wow, this is just like amazing. It's amazing. I have a Yorkie Chihuahua mix at home. That's, oh, he's, wow. He's 14, uh, but he's not so youthful anymore. He's <laughs> diabetic and going blind. Oh, and wow. All but I've had him since he was a year old in, uh, at a shelter I, I led in South Carolina. Uh -huh. and he's traveled around the country with me. And he's, oh. he's still plugging along. And we've had bigger dogs and cats. And yeah. I have a cat as well. Yeah. Um, but we're right now, because he's kind of fragile, even though I work with about 100 dogs every day, yeah. there's no room at the end until, right. until he's gone. Just right. out of respect. Oh, that's so special. So I know we just kind of got into the interview because um, I'll, I could talk about pets all day. And I love what you do. But I like to start the podcast with learning a little bit about yourself, Gary. Okay. Who is Gary? And how did Gary come to work at the Gulf Coast Humane Society? Absolutely. And and I've been here now just a little uh, under two years. Um, I, I moved back. I grew up in, in Lee County. I was born in Michigan, but I moved here when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. So I went to North Fort Myers High School and what used to be Edison Community College is now Florida Southwest. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to grad school at FGCU, wow. uh, worked in nonprofit. Um, previously in senior services, mm -hmm. uh, was on the board of directors at the Animal Refuge Center in North Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. um, I've been involved in one way or the other in animal welfare for 30 years. Uh, and so I moved around the country, South Carolina, Toledo, Ohio, most recently Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. building brand new facilities oh, wow. uh, and growing organizations. And mm. uh, I usually would get recruited away to build another, oh, uh, wow. another bigger one. And um, this time, a lot of it was coming back to do some caregiving. I have a lot mm -hmm. of elderly relatives here. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife's mom is 90, uh, and so wow. she's a primary caregiver for her now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was a big draw. Um, mm -hmm. The previous director was retiring at the time, mm -hmm. and it just lined up, you know, everything. the stars aligned that they were looking for somebody as we were looking to make the move back to mm -hmm. Florida. Yeah, I think that's very cool because I looked at your board of directors, and I see that your previous executive director is on your board of directors. How, how does that work out? Yeah, it's not uh, traditional, but uh, but she started off on the board. Um, mm -hmm. and I think they had had a change over like mm -hmm. ten years ago and asked her to, to step up into that mm -hmm. role. So mm -hmm. uh, so now she's uh, back on the board and and doing. She's happily retired and traveling all over uh -huh. the world and doing lots of things. Mm -hmm. But has that organizational history uh -huh. uh, again? Even though I've known this organization, mm -hmm. I even adopted from this organization when I was nine years old. Oh, uh, wow. So I, I go back quite a ways uh, with <laughs> the Humane Society, but. Uh, but obviously she was there for about 10 years, so has a lot of, oh. can fill in a lot of the gaps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of, you know, sometimes you replace someone, I've often replaced somebody who'd been terminated, yeah. uh, and then you're just kind of left with a pile right. of papers, and you're trying to figure out what went wrong, mm -hmm. and how do I make sure that I don't make those same mistakes. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So, so, so rewinding a little bit to what you said, I, I found that really interesting about starting new organizations. How do you start a new organization the right way and when I say the right way Im implementing the right board of directors implementing the right strategic plan the fundraising plan how do you when you when you're hired to start a new organization what are some of the top things that you know that you have to do yeah and I generally like I said I generally come into existing organizations but need a lot of uh, a lot of help uh, in most, not, not necessarily in this case, but in a lot of cases, it's very similar to a new one. Is really identifying what's working well, mm -hmm. what's not. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody out there wanting to start a brand new one, 
do your homework first, there may not even be a need for you to exactly do mm -hmm. that. There like may be that. five other people already doing it. Mm -hmm. You might be able to do something just slightly different that nobody is doing. And so really learning, even in animal welfare, there are a lot of folks that are trying to do kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Our organization was the first one in Southwest Florida. Right. Uh, and a lot of other groups have come along since then. We can't be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are roles to play. But, you know, we've evolved to where we have a spay-neuter clinic and a veterinary clinic. Uh, and we're always kind of identifying who's not doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, we started going out and helping. We send our spay-neuter van out to LaBelle and Clewiston mm -hmm. and Lehigh Acres. And we help in Immokalee. And, you know, we, we transfer in animals from those same places in mm -hmm. Glades County and Sebring and wherever else we're needed. Over time, do we have the resources? Mm -hmm. Is anybody else helping them? Why would we help them? Do our donors appreciate that we're doing that type mm -hmm. of work. So uh, a lot of it's having conversations with your donors mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. board. Um, what are the risks if we try to do this? So hmm. if you're a new person, obviously first identifying that need uh, and kind of how are you going to be able to, to address that need? Mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, certain types of nonprofits, there are government assistance programs. Mm -hmm. You might be able to become a United Way partner agency. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be foundations that are you know out there to help you, but probably spending a year or two of doing the homework first. Okay. Uh, and then the board of directors will often, again, why you want someone to be on your board, not just because they're well-known in the community right. uh, or because you think they're, you know, they live in a nice house and they mm -hmm. might have some mm -hmm. extra income for you, but uh, what kind of connections do they have uh, in the community and what kind of connection do they have to what you're trying to address. Mm -hmm. So walk me through the process you take when you're thinking about um, bringing on a new board member. Yeah, and, and many times in our type of organization, uh, it's talking with, with the existing board of directors mm -hmm. and looking at, um, like, since I've been here, we also added a veterinarian to the board. Uh, and sometimes uh, some shelters I've been a part of don't want an outside veterinarian. Uh, some do. Um, I like the idea of having a, in our veterinarian, Dr. Powell owns her own practice in mm -hmm. town. Mm -hmm. Her father was a veterinarian. She knows the community very well. Mm -hmm. She's a very res well-respected doctor. Um, I look at her also as technical um, help of knowing this is an expert in veterinary medicine. Right. So I, I employ, you know, probably close to 10 veterinarians. Oh, wow. But having an outside person right. to, to bounce things like, hey, does this sound logical to you? Mm -hmm. um, our doctors want this piece of equipment or they mm -hmm. want to try to do these things. I now have a technical expert right. on the board, just like we have CPAs on the board that can help us when making sure our audits are going to go well and that mm -hmm. we're budgeting properly. Mm -hmm. And attorneys on the board to make mm -hmm. sure, um, you know, somebody wants to donate a, we had a house donated to us that had a reverse mortgage and oh, wow. a lot of other complications. Uh, that sometimes are above my pay grade. Right. Myself. Yeah. And so I have technical experts on the board that I can pick their brains because again, no one person can be an expert in everything. Exactly. Exactly. I like I like that. So, um, do you when you're thinking about your board direct uh, board of directors, do you have like a board matrix of the type of diverse backgrounds and experiences that you want on your board? Because you did mention the CPA and the attorney and the the veterinarian and and such. How do you come up with that mix? Yeah, this board here is, a, is fairly small. Uh, we only have 11 members, so uh, my last board was like 29 people. Oh no, uh, that's so, awful. So that was uh, that was on a lot of subcommittees, and mm -hmm. so probably about 20 hours a week was right. board-related items. I was on every single subcommittee, mm -hmm. uh, and so I knew that was too much. Right Here, we only had nine when I started, and we added a couple uh, of folks, like the previous director and the veterinarian. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, just conversations we have at board meetings are kind of talking about 
um, we're going to be probably in the very near future uh, trying to build a much larger veterinary clinic. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to need new friends out in the community. So mm -hmm. we may be looking to expand our board or we might be looking to have a capital campaign committee, right. things like that. And so identifying there may be geographic areas that we're missing in, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, diverse backgrounds. Uh, do we want folks representing the education field? Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at our programs that we offer to the community, we want to make sure um, we look and represent you know, on the board and at the staff level and our volunteer level, mm -hmm. what the community looks like that we serve. Mm -hmm. So, so when you're thinking about a capital campaign for your expansion, what organizations? I know there's se several out there that I have in mind who are building buildings, and I've seen the the rendering mm -hmm. of the new building, and it's a. Uh, uh, a really hefty amount in the tens of millions of dollars sure. and then I, I saw the, the capital campaign plan and, and I just knew that they were, were not ready for it yes so with that said how does one even get ready for a capital campaign because um, there are a lot of other organizations competing and you could only go to the same donors so many times and we're talking about large amounts of money especially if you're building a new facility how do you get started when you when you first think okay i want to build this building and we need a we need to start a capital campaign absolutely you look at a few things i mean if uh now here like my last in buffalo we built a 52,000 square foot building for a little over 14 million dollars it mm -hmm. was a big undertaking um we're not building a new facility here most likely it will be a veterinary clinic so mm -hmm. it'll still be a It'll still be in the millions and it'll mm -hmm. still be a lot of work, but part of it you look at first, um, if you want to consider a new building, why why do you want to build it? Okay. Uh, what are you spending on your repair and maintenance of your, mm -hmm. you need more space, or you want to move a different part of town, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what you're making sure you have a really solid reason why, because you're going and asking community leaders to, mm -hmm. to do donate money, you, you yeah. really need to have a why. Right. Uh, and and what, how's it going to help you, not just because I want a nicer office, or because it's mm -hmm. in a, you know, I'll have a shorter commute from home. Or yeah, you, you, yeah. You have to have a real reason that's yeah. going to make sense and that's going to uh, grab people's attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then it's really looking at, you know, if you have an endowment, how much do you have in your endowment? Mm -hmm. It's kind of your rainy day fund in case, right. all, you know, if you need to take a, a line of credit against mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what kind of bequests you think you may have coming in? Mm -hmm. Don't count them until they're until they're there. Right. But, but uh, you can earmark a certain percentage of your bequests for mm -hmm. memorial gifts, for naming opportunities, mm -hmm. uh, looking at what type of grants might be available. Okay. And we do have some uh, foundational grants that are available that mm -hmm. will fund capital needs. So mm -hmm. again, that's all the research you do beforehand. Okay. Uh, then you want to look, I've built new facilities. I've also renovated existing facilities. And, and like in Toledo, we, we redid a warehouse uh, and it was much less expensive and much mm -hmm. more, more quickly done. Uh, so don't have a preconceived notion that I have to have the biggest building ever and mm -hmm. it has to be on this corner right here mm -hmm. um, really looking at you know uh, who are your friends what are your looking at your donating donating history mm -hmm. uh, some people have done a smaller campaign maybe you've done a, a fundraiser to buy a new vehicle or right. something like that or a remodel of your facility do you have are you starting from scratch or do mm -hmm. you have some people that you know they're good for 10,000 right. or they're good for 20,000 mm -hmm. if I don't ask them every year but for something mm -hmm. like this so mm -hmm. there's a lot of components that go into it but like you mentioned, oftentimes um, don't just assume it's a good cause, it's yeah. a good project. Yeah. There's wealthy people in our area. The checks are just going to come flying. Right. In. It's a lot of hard work, uh, mm -hmm. and there always will be at least one or two other capital campaigns mm -hmm. going on at any one time. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that. That that's very good information. So 
Long-term sustainability, the Gulf Coast Humane Society has been in existence for 76 years. You've had experience with lots of other organizations and have been successful. So what is the secret sauce to long-term sustainability for nonprofit? I think you have to have the you have to have checks and balances. So that's where uh, your financial person, your accountant that works for you, mm -hmm. um, they're kind of your conscience to make mm -hmm. sure uh, your staff always wants more, new this, I need yeah. more of these. Uh, and you need to remind them, you know, we need to make some new money in order mm -hmm. to, to do that. So financial education of your staff, okay. uh, of your board, making sure they understand we never want to be wasteful with any donor dollar. Because mm -hmm. uh, again, if you are not in and also taking care of what you already have. Mm -hmm. So when you're wanting to build a new building, and I've known some people who thought, I'll make my existing building, I'll defer maintenance on everything, mm. so it looks even sadder, so when someone comes <laughs> in, they really want to donate to us. I've never heard of such a thing. And I've, in my last place in Buffalo, they did that, and uh, they had a building that was from 1962, and, and they, that was their strategy, and I disagreed with it, because right. I said, if you're not taking care of today's facility, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why is somebody going to give you a million dollars for a new one right. that you're just not going to take care of mm -hmm. as well, too? So you want to appreciate what you have. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to outgrow something because the need's mm -hmm. so great and mm -hmm. because you've, you're doing more, but you want to make sure that, uh, that you're taking care of what you have, uh, being realistic about what, you know, what money's going to come in. Um, because again, not even though there's a grant you might qualify for, a hundred people might be applying for that same grant right, in the country. Right, right. So it's not a guarantee. Uh, and you may have to do it in phases. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have to have a line of credit. You mm -hmm. uh, there, you know, you have to be creative right. and you have to be committed too. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. can't be, well, we're going to start raising money and we're going to spend all these money on architectural drawings and renderings and spend hundreds of thousands. Right. And then, well, we'll revisit in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. You've seen those, you know, sometimes a church will have like a future home of yeah. billboard that looks like it's mm -hmm. been out there since 1972. Yeah. And it's like, well, when's it going to happen? Yeah. And like, so if you're going to do it, you're going to lose that public trust if mm -hmm. you don't move forward with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my last question is um, mindset. Mindset is very important, not only in the nonprofit sector, but even in our personal lives and also in our business. If you don't have the mindset of positivity, of abundance, um, it's really hard to make things happen because the public and donors will will know where your mind is if you're being genuine if you're being sincere oftentimes people um think like you you mentioned a previous organization you work with we will we won't maintain the facility so it looks uh, old and people will feel sorry for us so with that said some nonprofits they buy the old furniture things look beat up and it's just a sad scene and they say oh we're just a nonprofit." But no, you're a business, right? You're supposed to have pride in what you have. So how do you maintain an abundance mindset when the world has a mindset is just a nonprofit? You shouldn't pay your CEO X amount of dollars or you shouldn't pay your staff. So you have the nonprofit world who's filling in the gaps, the areas the government doesn't take care of. But our, our staff are not often being paid with a for-profit of course you can't match that but how do you stay positive and have a great mindset when you're a nonprofit and your donors are really looking at how you expend your funds yeah a lot of that's education i've watched a number of ted talks and other things about right. it and uh and we don't let anybody else control how professional we are we, we want to be professional our our current shelter is somewhat modest and uh mm -hmm. and again we've gotten some grants to to refresh that as well too but you have to realize that you have to have a professional work environment mm -hmm. for people. You have to have phones that work, computers that are from right. the century. You have to, you know, again, yes, we've, 
taken the uh, donated chairs and desks in mm -hmm, the past with mm -hmm. duct tape on them and all that stuff. But we're trying to get away from all right. that too, because again, it, it shows, you want to show that you're investing back in your staff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because again, they are professionals and they're experts at what they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I often, I, I'm sorry, I, to, I told you this was it, but I promise I'm wrapping it up. Um, I always, because um, I was the executive director of two nonprofits and I worked um, at an abused women's shelter as a senior fundraiser in Naples. And I oftentimes worry about the, the people who start nonprofits and people who work in nonprofits because we oftentimes are so busy taking care of everyone else and everything else that we don't always think about ourselves when it comes to uh, retirement and, and, you know, what are we going to do? Because things are only getting more expensive. As you know, after uh, the pandemic, the price of real estate really shot up here in Southwest Florida, and it's almost unreachable for the average person to even purchase a home. So how, do, how does one not forget to take care of themselves when they work in a nonprofit? What should they be cognizant of? I know you're not a financial advisor, but just from your experience, just thinking about retirement because we have to be a little bit selfish too and don't forget about ourselves because we don't want to be a come to become a senior and then we have to utilize the services that we helped other people get absolutely i started my first 401k at 23. Mm -hmm. uh it's hard that we when we have those conversations yeah. with our staff and i probably still feel like i didn't put enough money away mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i'll be able to retire as you know when i when i want to be yeah. able to um but that's what we try to remind our our staff is I mean, and we see a lot of entry-level people in nonprofits that unfortunately are still smoking and mm -hmm. you know buying a cup of coffee at, you know, through the drive-through every day. And, yeah. And you see again that financial—they're not making that connection. Right. And, right. You know, I, you know, I remind people, you know, pay off your credit cards mm -hmm. whenever. I mean, there may be a, a life. You know, again, you might have a veterinary bill or you might have a yeah. your car engine die or something. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. Gone, I've had lots of clunker cars and, and I've had to, you know, ask my dad for his credit card to mm -hmm. pay for that new engine on my $300 car because yeah. it, it wasn't uh, running again. And, uh, and it took me months to pay mm -hmm. it off, but I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so every mistake, you know, that you make when you're younger and, and I made some too, uh, mm -hmm. financially is you're going to be the one paying for it for right. long term. So right. the, the sooner you get financial education and maturity and, you know, uh, yes, I'd like to take that trip or I'd like to do this mm -hmm. or that, maybe that new car, stretch it out a little bit and yeah. just understand you you can make a living in nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. this is not a, this is not a, uh, uh, an industry that you're, uh, you're gonna have all the bells and whistles right. that maybe some folks can, mm -hmm. but you're doing something you can be really proud that you're doing. Mm -hmm. No matter what cause you're in, I used to work said, with senior services. Mm -hmm. I coached at police, at police Athletic League, you know, coaching kids in, mm -hmm. in sports here. Um, you know, whatever you're working for an underserved population, there's a lot of pride in that. Right. And, and, uh, and there should be, uh, because again, you're doing something that nobody else is doing mm -hmm. to the level people are falling through the, the cracks in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think it's, if it's something personal to you, you take a lot of pride mm -hmm. from that. Uh, and so maybe you're not gonna be the richest person in the world, yeah. but you can still, again, you can, you're making a decent living. Right. Um, you can, I, you know, I paid my way through grad school mm -hmm. and all that, you know, a couple classes at a time, mm -hmm. just, you know, basketball through to pay for my yeah. undergraduate. Yeah. And all you know, and, and also keep my grades up, and and always, that's the way you kind of know a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. Life is long in some cases, and in some cases, it, yeah. you know, it goes by in, a, in an instant. So don't wait to save until you're right. my age. Mm -hmm. You need to start saving when you're right out of college. Mm -hmm. And and if you're not thinking about college, um, you know, I, it's not for everybody. But right. get a good trade and maybe start volunteering with mm -hmm. the charity that you mm -hmm. like as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, you're absolutely correct because um, a lot of people thought I was nuts because I had a really great career. Um, it, working in government, I worked for Collier County government in the transportation planning department. Oh. 
Then I became the public information officer in the mayor's office in Naples. And a lot of people said, why would you leave the mayor's office to go work at a nonprofit? And I was like, well, I'm a risk taker and it's something different. And I just fell in love with the nonprofit world because yes, at the city, I had a pension. Yes, at the county, I had the FRS, but I hated my job. I hated the politics. And for once in my life, when I went over to work in nonprofit, I knew the work I was doing because my first um, job was at the women's shelter that we were keeping women who were being abused. There were men too. The shelter was open to men too. But I knew the work that I was doing was helping people because we would hear the stories and see the stories in the people. And then when I went over, it was a free eye clinic. We were helping people, a lot of migrant workers. Um, with their eyes, people were going blind. It's just, and then moving over to the consulting side, I get to help a lot of other nonprofits get off their, off the ground. So I really, I don't, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Absolutely, and I also have a transit background, a transportation over in Flagler in Volusia oh, County. Okay, works there as well. Had the great pension and mm-hmm. all the vacation days and, yep. <laughs> and a lot, a lot of great things. And I took a huge pay cut to run mm-hmm. my first animal shelter. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and even gave up insurance for a while. I mean, just really yeah. took a leap of faith. Yeah. Uh, moved up to South Carolina, where animal welfare is, you know, years behind. And uh, but it just, it was something that was just my calling. So mm-hmm. I took that chance. My wife supported me. Uh, you know, moved out of a really nice house, and it took a while to catch back up. But again, yeah. I, again, I make you a decent, will. I make a good living now, and yeah. uh, I kept going. I, you know, finishing up grad school mm-hmm. and uh, finding what I really cared. You know, every day I get out of bed and like. I know I'm going to be doing something I care about every day. Right. It's something fun. Animals. Oh, my God. So, Gary, thank you so much for your time. Thank Thank you you for what you do. Um, It's really important because um, animals, I don't know, they they are really good for mental health. They're really good companions. They they know how to do their job well. And I I always tell my husband, I was like, why did God make animals so cute? Because our dog looks at us when we're eating dinner with those big, brown, beautiful eyes. And we just can't help but give them some food. So, Gary, can you please tell our audience how to reach out to you if they wanted to donate a million dollars? I knew you would like that. I, I will come to them if they want to donate a million dollars. I'll drive to you. But uh, uh, You can go to gulfcoasthumanesociety.org. It's a long one, but uh, and, and go there and you, there's a donate now button and you can do that. If you want to volunteer, if you want to adopt, if you want to attend a future event, um, if you want some, you know, if you have an animal that you acquired that's not spayed or neutered, we can also hook you up with that as well. Okay. And what is your telephone number? It's uh, 239-332-0364. Thanks again, Gary. Thank you. Guys, you heard it here first. Another amazing nonprofit right here in the beautiful Southwest Florida, making a difference in the community with our furry friends. So this is Tamika, and stay tuned for more Grow Your Nonprofit podcast episodes.